Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Horizon. Today, we are continuing our Mastermind series as we look at today how to change our behaviors by changing our thoughts. Decide to wait for 
Well, welcome to Mastermind. In our series, we're looking at ways in which we can change how we behave, maybe even how we react, by changing and mastering how the thoughts come into our head. With me is my friend John. John, how can we change our thoughts and thus change how we behave? One of the things that I see frequently in my practice is individuals coming in with depression or anxiety or just struggling with life in general. And where we usually begin with are these things called automatic thoughts. And an automatic thought is, is essentially a thought that you have that follows an event. The thought can be a positive thought, um, one that helps you do something that you wouldn't ordinarily do, be brave, for example. A negative thought, though, is another type of thought that you can have, and those are more closely linked with psychopathology, such as depression and anxiety. These thoughts that prevent you from doing or cause you to do things that take you further from your goals in life. I think in most people, they're called automatic thoughts because you don't even know you're having them in one sense. It's just you think it's reality. You think it's just how things are um, versus I always say you got to think about what you think about. I want to think about what is it that's allowing me to perceive this conversation, this fight, this dialogue with my son or daughter. So those are the automatic things I need to go from I'm unconsciously incompetent in knowing what I'm thinking about to how do I become consciously incompetent it still may not be a truthful thought, but I'm now at least aware that it's kind of part of the equation of what's going on. Right, right. So part of what we do with our clients is we help them identify those negative thoughts. I call them stinking thinking. These are the thoughts that gum up your whole life, that keep you from doing the things you need to do or prevent you from feeling the way you want to feel. So one of the things we do is we help the, the client identify what that negative thought is. And usually that takes some time because, as you said, those thoughts are automatic, which means they're happening in a split second. This thing happens, my belief, my opinion. It happens just as quick, and we may not always notice it. So it takes a little time to identify these, and it takes a little work. And like stinking things like garbage, right? Because if I have a garbage stinking thinking thought, it pretty much smells, right? So now I start feeling. So my thoughts lead to my smelly thinking, which leads to that I'm going to react out of that smell or that stinking thinking. So it begins to affect everything. Right. And so once we identify it, then we come up with a new self script. What's your new thought going to be? What are we going to replace that, that old, worn out, smelly thought with? One that's not helping you. And so then we work with our, our clients to help them identify what that new rational thought is. And I, and I use that term specifically because it has to be a thought grounded in reality. So we start to align that new script with that, that reality of what's going on. And then we build from there. And so then the client takes that out into the real world. And so they have this new thought about themselves. You know, I've been nervous before and I've done it okay. So I can be nervous now and be okay. Mm. Yeah, so first I identify my stinking thinking, and then I need to replace it with a better thought. But we're not talking about just wishful thinking or naive thinking or uh, I'm going to pretend I can you know, shape reality as much as a truthful thought, right? A truthful right. thought is going to be able to let me move in the direction I want to go. Yes, because that imaginary thinking is another example of a cognitive distortion that you see in some various theories of counseling psychology. And that can open up a whole other box of unintended or unwanted consequences in your life. Yeah, like uh, catastrophizing, you know, because one thing goes bad, everything went bad. Because yeah. when area is bad, you know, it's pervasive, it's my entire life is bad, or it's never going to change. It's, these are the kind of thoughts we have that can keep our kids, us, whoever we're interacting with, from being able to find the truth that there's hope, there is change, and things can really you know, go in different directions. And that's the whole, the, one of the main goals in therapy is to help that person identify those thoughts, replace those thoughts, and then 
integrate them into their daily life so that they too can become automatic thoughts. Well, how do we think about what we think about? And I've heard those ants, uh, those automatic negative thinking referred to as ants. How do we stomp out the ants in our life and find real thoughts that allow us to master our mind? Good morning, Horizon. Thank you. My name is Beth Guggenberger, and it's my joy to be here to stand on top of some of what John and Chad were just talking about as we continue this series called Mastermind, where we're using the theology from the book of Romans to crack the code of human behavior. I, uh, it's, if I haven't met you yet, I am involved with orphans and vulnerable children, and my day job is with back-to-back -back ministries, but I certainly love coming to this community and being with you, so thanks for having me um, here today. When I think about this idea of cracking the code of human behavior, I, I mean, the world is always telling us things like, listen to your heart and follow your heart and be true to your heart. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. God says things like, set your mind on things above. That comes out of the book of Colossians. And he talks about taking every thought captive. That comes out of 2 Corinthians. And then the passage we're going to spend some time on today here in the book of Romans says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's exactly what they were just talking about, this idea that we could replace negative thoughts with good thoughts, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And like, what, what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we don't renew our minds and we get stuck with the imprints that we gain from our experiences and our families of origin and the traumas that we may have gone through in life? Because of the work I do with orphan and vulnerable children, I see all the time how they have to replace thinking that they have acquired in their bucket from all of the hard things and voices and experiences they've had in their life, how, how they have to to renew their thinking in order to have healthier choices and, and healthier living. And we're really not any different. At Back to Back, we have in one of our sites in Mexico where I was living for a season, we had like foster, a big community of foster care homes. So, a, you know, a married couple would live in a home with multiple teenagers. We were fostering at that point only teenagers. And, uh, you know, that is a tough job. And I was kind of functioning like the principal of that environment. So the, the house parents were managing 99% of the comings and goings of their household. But when something kind of broke big, then I would get called in as a tiebreaker. And we, we placed this very difficult teenage boy in one of the homes. And this it was a lovely house. Like these house parents were like, I mean, Waste, just very strong parents. They would have like school time, homework time, craft time, make dinner together time, dinner time together, game time. I mean, like it was like family time. Like you can't even imagine completely new experiences for the kids that were coming into their family. And we put this really difficult boy into that environment and he was very disruptive, sabotaging all the events he could possibly sabotage. And the house parents were demonstrating pretty spectacular, if not supernatural amounts of Grace, wisdom, patience with this guy. Got, kept trying to redirect him, help him get co-regulated, help him engage with the other boys. Uh, about a week and a half into his time at their house, someone came running over to my house and said, like, you know, mayhem, come, like, 911, come on over to the house. It turns out this boy during dinner time had kind of crossed one too many lines for that house father and he was picking on one of the other kids and the house dad erupted and probably brought with him all kinds of feelings he'd been having for the last 10 days but he was he was out he was 
he was having a moment. So I walk in the, in the house and I see the boys kind of watching him go crazy. And the calmest person in the room was this new kid. And I walked over to him. I said, hey, why don't you tell me what's going on in here? And he goes, oh, I can finally breathe these people. He's like, look at all this chaos. This, I'm like, I finally feel at home for the first time in 10 days. The truth is he, he had a set point. The only waters he had ever swum in were the kind of waters where everybody was crazy and yelling at each other and going on. I mean, so all that kindness and, and thoughtfulness and intentionality and family time, he literally felt like he, was, he couldn't breathe, like he was drowning. And so he was working to, to create the kind of environment that he was used to. He, he had gotten used to kind of one way of thinking. And as I think about that young man over the course of the next four years that he lived with us, it took a lot for us to change his set point for him to begin to have an appetite for meaningful conversation, for healthy exchange, for someone caring about him. That's not how he came into our world. That, this, is what I'm, this is what this whole series is about. How do, we, how do we change our set point so that we can have an appetite for, we can appreciate the kinds of healthy choices and healthy living that God's offered to us? My husband and I have 11 children. And a number of years ago, we adopted a 12-year-old boy who had not ever lived in a family before, really. He'd been in a foreign government orphanage. We brought him home in the summer. Um, he, he moved to the U.S. in June. Two months later, he was a soccer player at King's Junior High in the seventh grade, where my family lives. And we decided not to give him technology right off the bat. That was like a little bit too much of the world at his fingertips. So I got this text from an unknown number, like someone I was assuming was on his soccer team. It was in the middle of my work day and it said, Tyler forgot his soccer shoes at home. Can you bring him up to school? So I left work and I went home and there were soccer shoes were by the door. So I grabbed his soccer shoes and I drove up to school and he had a game that night. So there was like an athletic study hall after school. And so I walked into the athletic study hall and I was like, hey buddy, here's your shoes. You forgot them. And he looked at me and he's like, it worked. And I'm like, what do you mean it worked? He's like, I told my team I couldn't play in the game tonight because I forgot my shoes. And they were like, don't you have a mom? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, just ask her. She'll bring your shoes. He's like, I didn't know this is how this works. And I said, oh, this is definitely how this works. We bring homework, lunches, shoes. Like, this is definitely how this works. He literally didn't have that pattern of thinking. He didn't even understand. He had all the rights and privileges as one of my kids but he didn't understand what came with that kind of rights and privileges. And he, he's, you know, spent the last seven years trying to figure that out. In the same way, when we decide to be one of God's kids, we'll spend the rest of our life trying to understand all the rights and privileges that come with it. Like, th this is how this works. I didn't know how, this is how this works. One of the, the rights and privileges we have as God's kids is he will literally help us reorder, rewire, re-everything, re renew our thinking so that we can have what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, which just seems unbelievable. But how do we do that? How do we shape our minds to, and, and have our thinking then impact our actions? How do, how do we get transformed? How do we change that set point? The answer to that question that we find in the book of Romans actually started in the Garden of Eden. So if you'll just allow me for a minute, I wanna paint a, a pattern of story that starts in the book of Genesis and goes all the way to Jesus, who's the great transformer and renewer of our minds. So just 
just bear with me in my props here. This is one church I don't ever mind with props because I know Chad has all kinds of props all the time. So <laughs> my little props do not um, weird you out. But let me explain to you what these mean and I'll use them to tell some stories. In the beginning of all stories, there's chaos. And I was trying to think like, how do I represent, what kind of prop can I have to represent chaos? But in the Bible, chaos is often represented by water and we'll see why here in a minute. So my water bottle is supposed to represent chaos, the beginning of the story. There's chaos, the beginning. You may be in a story right now where it feels like chaos, like just, it's just crazy. You can't believe this is how this is unfolding. You, had, you didn't see this coming, right? It's just, you weren't planning on it. You don't like it. You can't control it. It's chaos. That's chaos. In the biblical stories, we'll see, in the, when we see the presence of chaos, the next thing we can look for is the spirit. The hovering spirit of God always comes and enters into chaos. Again, we'll, we'll go through a couple of stories and you'll see it. So I'm like, how do I represent, like, the spirit of God? And because I was afraid to bring a live dove into here. So I brought a fan because the word in Hebrew for, for spirit is ruah. And the word for wind in Hebrew is ruah. Wind and spirit are the same word. So that was the best thing I could think of, to think of spirit. So we have chaos, and then the spirit will come. He'll come and enter into the chaos. He does every time in our stories as well as the biblical ones. And when we see the spirit of God, the next thing that happens is that he'll talk. God speaks. We can listen for his words. So the Bible's representing God, God speaking. And immediately following God speaking, every single time, Shalom is in Hebrew or peace. We say in English, peace breaks out. So how do I represent peace? This is my olive branch. Okay, so we'll see. After God speaks, we'll see peace. And in a time of peace, every single time without fail, we can count on it. It would, this does not break. There'll be, a, there'll be a, a temptation. And my apple, representing the original temptation with Adam and Eve, temptation will come. If we bite the apple... We enter into temptation, the whole story repeats itself, and we're back in chaos. If we resist temptation, we stay in a place of peace. Go with me to the scene of creation. So it says in Genesis, I'm going to read you some actual verses here so you know I'm not making this up. Okay. In the beginning, it says everything in the Bible, this is Genesis 1, was, was broken and it was symbolized by water. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the very second verse in the Bible, it says, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happens when the Spirit of God, what's the next thing that happens? God speaks. What's he say? He says, let there be light, let there be day, let there be animals, let there be man, let there be women, let there be all the kinds of things. He speaks. And as soon as he was done speaking, peace broke out, right? He saw all that he created and it was good. And that lasted like a hot second <laughs> until Adam and Eve ate the apple, right? And as soon as they ate the apple, chaos returned back to the earth. Six chapters later, we read the story of Noah. So we know the story of Noah, right? The, the, he, God put him and his family in an ark and because the world was wicked, it was so chaos. And the waters came and covered the earth. So we know that there's, once again, water in the chaos. Forty days later, the spirit came actually two ways. A big wind came, which we know is the same word as spirit. Wind came and drew up and dried up the waters. And then a spirit in the form of a dove came and rested there on the boat. And God says, 
because uh, he's going to speak, that's what happens next. In Genesis chapter 8, he says, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of creature that's with you, the birds and the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in it. And we have a, a creation story getting recreated. And after God speaks, we know the very next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be peace. And that's exactly what happened. It was so peaceful there was even a rainbow, right? I mean, this is, this is an, un and they walked out of the ark and shalom broke out and it was amazing. But what happens in the story next? I mean, even if you don't know the story, you know the story. The very next thing that happened is that Noah was tempted and he got drunk in a tent and he cursed his son and chaos resumed into that story. We could do that over and over again in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, but we're going to go on to the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. And there's chaos. God's kids are in slavery under a man named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has declared that all the Hebrew boys have to be, baby boys have to be thrown into the Nile to be killed. He was afraid of him. I can't think of anything more chaotic than babies being killed in a river. So we have this season, of, that's Exodus chapter 1 verse 22. Every Hebrew boy that's born must be thrown in the Nile. And then God's spirit comes, right? We have all the stories of the plagues that come. And then finally the death of the firstborn son causes Pharaoh to let God's kids go free and they go down to the edge of the Red Sea. And we see the Spirit of God come and blow into that Red Sea and part those waters in half. It's crazy. And it says in Exodus 14, 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east ruah, a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. And he spoke. He spoke to and through Moses, who led God's people out of that kind of slavery. And then all of a sudden they're free. I can't think of anything more shalomi, more peaceful than no longer being slaves as they had been for generations before that. So wouldn't that have been awesome if they would have just stayed here in their peace land? But they didn't stay in peace. Temptation came upon them. They began to complain. Then they made a, a golden calf bit the temptation of wanting to do things their own way, not the way that God designed for them. And because they fell to temptation, chaos entered into their world again. Man, we could read Exodus over and over again and watch this story repeat itself. This is the story of our human nature. But if we go into it, Moses eventually dies. The next guy that comes along who he had mentored was a man named Joshua. And in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, they're on the edge of a swollen Jordan River and it's harvest time. And they're carrying something called the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the spirit of God was, was uh, residing. So you have chaos of the river and you have the spirit of God and then God talks to them. That's what happens next every time in the story. So be looking for it. And here's what he says to them. He says this, Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, the waters will be, who will be flowing downstream will be cut off and set in a heap. So I just want to paint the scene. They have this crazy river. God's telling them, I want you to go on the other side of it. They're carrying the spirit of God. And they're like, how do I get to the other side? It's swollen. It's chaotic. It's crazy. And God tells them, get into the get into the waters, I'll make them stop. I'll take care. You have my spirit with you. I'm telling you what to do. You know what happens when you do what I tell you it's going to do. We're going to have peace. Like, you don't have to, don't look at the circumstances. Listen to my voice. This is what I'm telling you. 
go into the waters. And that's exactly what happened as they set foot into that Jordan River. Those waters stood up so they could cross across that river. You'd think they would remember that that had just happened before, so they should trust him again. And they had a period of peace as soon as they crossed the river. But, I mean, they're humans, right? So temptation came on them. They went into the town of, conquered the, the town of Jericho. And God told them to bring the spoils back for him. And instead they kept what they conquered for themselves. They wanted to take the blessing into their own lives. And when we act other than what God tells us to do, we're going we're gonna to find that the result of that temptation, regardless of how smart and strategic and makes sense of it all, something seems to us. Our way of thinking is not right. We have to renew our thinking. We have to set our mind on things above. We have to take thought captive those thoughts. We have to obey what God says. That's how we get peace. If we don't and we do things our own way and bite that apple, we're going to go right back here to chaos again. We could do this really all morning long. These, this is the story of our human nature. But I want you to go fast forward with me into the story of Jesus' baptism. Uh, in Jesus' baptism, there was no chaos found in him, right? He, 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 has, he has no chaos. But in that storyline, he enters into the water, he was, which, which everybody knew was a symbol of chaos. And his heart to redeem people, his, his thoughts led to his behavior. He knew what he was doing. Entered into that water without himself having any chaos. And the very next thing that happens, we already know what's going to happen. We're going to see the presence of the Spirit. And it says in the very next verse, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized in those waters, he went up out of the water and suddenly the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. Well, if the Spirit of God rested on him like a dove, what's the next thing that's going to happen? I mean, God's going to talk. We got to listen for his voice. And the next thing that he says in verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And as soon as God talks, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Shalom will break out. And absolutely that's what happened. Shalom broke out in Jesus' ministry. And people that were deaf could suddenly hear. People that were blind could suddenly see. People who were dead in their thoughts and in their way of life suddenly came alive in ways they'd never experienced before. This is what happens when God speaks. And then the very next thing that happens, that story is in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 4, we already know it's going to happen. If there's been a period of shalom, there's going to be an opportunity for temptation. But this time, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus doesn't fall to temptation. And the binding of the evil one begins. His thoughts, his mind came under the authority of his father because he had the mind of Christ. This is our code breaker. He set an example for us for what happens when we find ourselves in the midst of temptation and we want to maybe kind of try a little bit of the thing that is tempting us. We want to fall back into a thought pattern that feels as familiar to us as breathing. It's our set point. It's all we've ever known. If we choose to not break that code, if we choose to live in the way that we are just naturally made to live, the result of that kind of choice is always going to bring us back into chaos. That's not God's design for us. That's not what he wants for you. 
He wants you to experience his peace. So he shows us what to do to resist that temptation. The baptism of Jesus is more than just him setting us an example of something like we should do now. He's telling us a story. And he's announcing to all of us, I'm, I'm a water enterer. I'm going to step into the chaos. I'm not afraid of it. And I'm going to bring shalom from it. Doesn't matter how chaotic it is. For God's kingdom to begin, we have to do that kind of work, that kind of renewing our mind kind of work, that kind of putting to death our old way kind of work so that we could live like his kids. Our behavior puts on display that we have had that code cracked, that we, have, we now think in a different kind of way. It was, it was honestly and completely a training moment for the disciples. If you want to be like me, you're going to have to get into the water. You're going to have to go into the chaos and not let the chaos change you, but you bring my change into, the, into it. And God's kids have been entering into the chaos ever since. There's an old teaching from uh, English theologian N.T. Wright. So I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations for a minute. We're going to draw something in our heads. But N.T. Wright, usually when he does this teaching, he gets an old chalkboard and he draws a great big circle. And he says, the beginning of the earth, the beginning of time, there was an earth. And God's presence rested in the earth, and it was amazing. His shalom, or his peace, rested here on the earth. Amazing. And that lasted like a hot second, because we already know that first chapter in Genesis, we find that Adam and Eve fall to temptation and eat the apple. And as a result of that, God's presence lifted off of the earth, and the absence of God's peace is chaos. And I don't feel like I need to spend any time convincing you today our world is in chaos, utter chaos. Did you, look, did you watch the news this morning? The world is in chaos. And then several times in the Old Testament, we see him enter into those waters and bring his peace. And then there's a chapter in our New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 2 where God gives a gift to all of us who want to be his kids. That gift is called the Holy Spirit. And as a result of the Holy Spirit, I now have shalom with me all the time, strengthening me to be in any kind of chaos I could possibly enter into because his spirit is with me and I can hear him talk. And I can experience his peace. And there's a, I want you to, in your imagination, put one circle down into the other circle. And they should cross with like a little almond-shaped spot. It looks like an eye where the two circles cross. That space is what the Bible calls the kingdom of heaven on earth. And if you are one of God's kids, that's where your spiritual passport is. You are not yet in shalom. Maybe you know some people in shalom. I love some people who have gone to be with Jesus. We're not in shalom. But I have not been left in the chaos. I get to live in this other kind of place, this place that God says, in this space, I will renew your mind. I will give you my way of thinking. You can walk and move and be and, and serve and love and give and play and do and spend and all the things with the mind of Christ this, in this beautiful place called the kingdom of heaven on earth. But here's what can happen. I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes we can find ourselves in the kingdom of heaven on earth and we are so happy to be there. We just want to surround ourselves with other people who are exactly like that. But this book, for as complicated as it may seem sometimes, you could probably boil it down to just two words. The first word is come. If you haven't heard it yet, let me say it loud and clear. God has invited you to come into a relationship with him. He's invited you into his kingdom, invited you into his family, invited you into his presence, invited you. He, he's invited. He'd come. But the second word is go. He's a great commissioner. 
And he set us an example that day when he was baptized. I want you to go. And where does he want us to go? He wants us to enter into the waters. He wants us to go into the chaos, not on our name, not on behalf of us, not on behalf of Horizon Community Church. He wants us to go into the chaos on behalf of him because we're supposed to be his kids and we're supposed to look and smell and talk and be in the same way that he was. And what did he do? He went into the waters. When he gets in the waters, what does he do? He looks for the spirit. He listens for the voice of his father. He celebrates peace and he resists temptation. And that, that is easier said than done. I mean, that kind of thinking, it's, it's really hard. And when we think about thoughts impacting our actions, I mean, if we find ourselves, if, if this morning, I'll just bring it to today, if this morning you found yourself in chaos, look for his spirit. Listen for his voice. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. It may seem like what you're tempted by, like everyone else is saying is just fine. But if this voice inside of you is telling you it's not, resist temptation. If you're in shalom this morning, you woke up and you're like, it's pretty good right now. Things are going pretty good. Expect temptation. You can't break that. That's exactly what's going to happen next in the world that we walk in. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you are being tempted right now, live like someone who's been redeemed, that you can prove what is, that, that, that it, what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You can put on display what God has done in your life. So as we think about things like friendships and our marriages and our families and our response to that newsreel we watched this morning, we have this life hack, this like code cracker so that we don't have to face the unwanted consequences of chaos because we bit the, the apple. We get to renew our thinking. In Romans 12, at the end of that 12th chapter, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Basically, when you get here, don't be overcome by it and find yourself back here. Overcome evil with the peace that God brings into your life. And then spread that peace to other people. We get to be shalom bringers. Who knows what kind of chaos he might invite us to go into. I was thinking if I wanted to finish our time with two quick stories of people who I have watched bring peace into places that were unexpected. The one, in, one is an ancient story in history. Maybe you know this story. It's the story of the Asian monk Telemachus. I had never heard of his story. One time I was in Israel and I learned about him. I want to tell you a minute about him. His stories are found in the uh, writing of the Bishop of Cyrus in Syria, a man named Theodoret. But this Asian monk Telemachus woke up in Asia and felt like God had told him in a dream he was supposed to walk to Rome. He didn't really know why. Sometimes when you're in this period of shalom and you're experiencing communion with God and you're listening to his voice, you don't always know what he's, done, what he's up to. Like We don't get to decide if we like what he says to us, that's when we're going to do it. You just do it because God tells you to do it, and that's exactly what he did. He got to Rome, and he witnessed for the first time the gladiator games. So again, this story that I'm telling you happened in 370 AD. So gladiator games were at their heights. Animals killing animals, people killing people. He says, it's written that he said there when the abominable spectacle was being exhibited, he himself went into the stadium, saw everything that was happening, stepped into the arena and endeavored to stop the men who were wielding their weapons against one another. So imagine this like little Asian monk who walked from like, you know, 
to Rome and saw the Gladiator games. The Gladiator arenas, the one that he walked into was about the size of Paul Brown Stadium. Just imagine that many people cheering on this blood sport. And this little guy walks in, decides, I don't like what's happening. I'm going to try to bring peace into, that, into those waters. So he walks out into the sand where the gladiator games were happening, interposing himself between two combatants. Here's exactly what he said. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, I command these wicked games to cease. Do not requite God's mercy by shedding innocent blood. There are two versions of the story that happened next. One... We know for sure that Telemachus was instantly killed. Some say that it was a gladiator overcome with the interruption just killed him. Others say it was because the crowd began to immediately throw down daggers and goblets and fruit, and he was essentially stoned to death by their objects. What we, we don't really know exactly how he died, but we do know for sure that he died. And it's recorded that the angry cries of the mob were silenced. They, di they died away into this profound silence when Telemachus died. Why? They had been watching people die all day. When the emperor was informed of this, he numbered Telemachus in the number of victorious martyrs, and he put an end immediately to that impious spectacle. According to John Fox in his famous book of martyrs, he writes, from the day that Telemachus fell dead in the Colosseum, no other fight of gladiators was ever held there. Are you kidding me? Some little Asian monk walked to Rome and stopped the gladiator games? I don't even understand how that happens, but I know that God talked to him. And I know he entered into those waters and brought God's peace. I know he resisted the temptation of the voices in his mind that would have said, are you kidding me? You can't do anything about this. When we follow God's ways, he does his will. And the stories get told, you know, here we are now, 1,500, 1,800 years later. Last, um, last month, I was at a gathering for Tim, the Tim Tebow Foundation supports back-to-back -back ministry. So I was with the Tebow family and a couple of the other missionaries whom they support. And I was sitting next to a couple who have been ministering in communist Laos for over 50 years. So, I mean, are you kidding me? I just sat quietly. I'm just like, what, what do you have to tell us? Like, what, what do you have? What kind of stories do you have coming out of Laos? I want to hear what God's been doing in and through you that you've witnessed. What kind of chaos have you seen? What does this look like for you? And they told me that, about this couple that they led to the Lord, and the man then was incarcerated as a result uh, of sharing the gospel because you're not allowed to there. He was, he was in jail for 16 years, and his wife, according to, to Laos law, is allowed to visit him once a month for the purpose of bringing him clean clothes. So that wife wrote down scripture in little tiny strips of paper and sewed it into the hem of the clothes that she brought him. And then when he would get those papers those clothes, he would read those words, consume that, the, that message, and then share it as often as he could inside of that, of that communist jail. When people came to understand him to be, uh, Jesus to be their savior, he would, and they would get released before him, he would send them out to his wife who would make sure they were getting discipled out in the world. And when I think about somebody who went into a really chaotic situation and waited for the spirit, to present itself and then listen to his words and then bring his peace and then resist temptation. Peace is breaking out in a communist jail where light wouldn't otherwise be except for that someone's following God's example that he set for us and he's willing to be a, a water enterer and watch what God's going to have happen. When we decide to listen to God's voice, 
all kinds of things are going to change. I'm going to close this in prayer, and afterwards you're going to hear the story of my friend Chris who's going to share about what happens when she started to listen to the voice that God was talking to her and how her life changed as a result of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the code cracker, that you who understand where our minds are right now and the distance between where we are right now and what your mind, the mind of Christ, looks like. Lord, help us bridge that distance by listening for you, by hearing your word and responding to it, by holding on to our peace and resisting temptation. Thank you, Jesus, that there even is a way our minds can be renewed, that that's a gift you give us. We hold on to it. Thank you for the testimony of Chris and the wisdom of John and Chad. Continue to walk us through what it looks like to look and smell and work and love and serve and give like you. And I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Yeah, I'm with my friend Chris, and Chris has been so cool in our friendship, but also as your pastor to see your spiritual journey over the years. And I remember, you know, even back in the CCD days before we had a facility, yes. way back in Indian Hill, um, you were coming, you had some spiritual background, but you had some real ahas at Horizon. So tell me about when you first started coming, what you learned, and what was kind of that moment you said, I get it. Well, in the beginning, when I first came to Horizon, especially after we moved to where we are now, I was not really a Christian. I believed in God, and I believed that Christ existed. And he taught wonderful things, but I can't, I really didn't get it. And, but I was open to it because the church was accepting of me, not believing in Christ. And because of that, I was free to ask questions. And I went to Bible studies and started to learn things, but I still wasn't putting the things together. Even though I was learning facts, about um, the Bible, the Old Testament, but facts about Jesus himself, it still was not clicking until one day in church when, as you were talking, there was a painter and he was painting on the easel and I just kept focusing on the easel. And very quickly it dawned on me when he was doing the chin, it was, a, it was Christ, but a different perspective of looking up here and for the first time to me, Christ looked real. It wasn't this gorgeous, blonde, blue-eyed, and, and it just hit me. And then when he splattered blood on him, I swear, I, I just, I believed. And it started to open up all kinds of doors for me. I mean, just amazing and to have it reinforced by going back but it never would have happened if I hadn't been there maybe it would have but it was because horizon is accepting no matter what you believe it's the acceptance it's also the attitude what can we do for you and they kept drawing me and accepting me and therefore I could accept Jesus well, that's one of our values is, you know, we're yours to explore, right? So we want you to explore wherever you're at. And I remember that day. In fact, that painting, um, he made several. Mark Theskin painted three uh, for the different services. And I have one of them hanging in, in my office. And so every time I see that painting, I think of you. 
And while he was painting, kind of the, the, the red blood was actually the, the red splatter paint he was using. Um, he was doing that while we were, the band was doing a song by Peter Gabriel I love called Red Rain. It's the idea that God rains down his acceptance and he rains down his love and he rains down his forgiveness. Well, if you're going to recommend to somebody else who maybe is a few steps behind you in the journey, why should they consider Christ? Or what are the benefits you found that you might recommend them to take in pursuing their relationship with God? It was because of Christ on the cross and, and learning about it um, that we are, we're forgiven. We're, we don't have to prove it. Again, we're already forgiven for our sins. Even before we commit the sins, we're forgiven. Doesn't mean we go around sinning. <laughs> no, because we want to be connected to God. And to connect with God, we do what God wants. We do things, you know, for other people, not, you know, not just ourselves. And it changes the whole focus. Instead of a me focus, it becomes an outward focus. Like the first day I walked in, what can we do for you? Red rain is pouring down 
Mark, thank you. And Beth, thank you. As I watched him painting that, you know, hearing Chris's story, even knowing what was coming, I'm thinking, why would you take something so gruesome and put it in your office or remember it as one of the best days of your life when you saw that painting, except that that red rain of his blood represents the promise of God of forgiveness and mercy through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that is at the core of every message that you hear at Horizon. That, that is God's hope for you, that you would recognize the love of Christ that has made that sacrifice for you. And, and there was a line in that song, I, I jotted it down to make sure I would get it right. It says, I come to you defenses down with the trust of a child, which is exactly what you were sharing with us. That it kind of takes the rest of my life to figure out just what it really means to just embrace that love and those promises that I am a child of God. So can I just tell you, if, if you have questions about that, maybe you're where Chris was a few years ago and, and wrestling with some of these things, we would love to share that conversation with you, answer questions. I mean, Horizon is yours to explore. And maybe today's the day that you say, I want to be God's child. I want to believe that sacrifice for me. Would you tell the person that you came with or tell us? If you still have questions about that, that's why we hang out at the hearth room or I know Beth's going to be hanging out here at the front of the room afterwards if you'd like to talk to her more because that's what we're here for. We're here for you because Jesus was here for us. So thank you for coming and we hope to see you again next week.